Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and today we are going to be talking all things brain health. I am sitting here with Kathy Williams. I found her on Instagram. Her Instagram graphics are amazing and her information just drew me in. So let me give you a little bit of her background. She is a born and bred Kiwi, but her dad is from the UK originally. So she feels very lucky that she has been able to live in the UK for the past few years and she makes it a second home. She studied naturopathy and nutrition in Auckland, New Zealand, straight out of high school. And she has worked in the health industry since in various ways, such as private practice, health food and supplement stores, well-respected supplement companies, and also managing other clinics, which has given her a well-rounded view of the industry. While she was originally disheartened with clinical practice because her schooling was much more technical based and didn't really give her the coaching skills she felt were so vitally needed to help people actually implement the changes they need to make, she has delved deep into the world of habit coaching and a few years ago returned to private practice with renewed vigor. Since then, she has been passionately helping people build calmer, calmer, clearer, and brighter minds and moods and reduce the risk of depression, anxiety, dementia, and Alzheimer's through mastering their daily habits, understanding how their brain and body works, and using that to their advantage to make healthy habits truly stick. So Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This is going to be so fun. I feel like we are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. And so I just can't wait to pick your brain. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you even got into the brain health side of things. Well, I guess I've always been intrigued with with mental health um, and that perspective. I've always, right from when I was studying, you know, the, the mind and the body uh, were never separate to me. I could never sort of see that separation that that happened. Um, and the whole you are what you eat made so much sense to me. And I just couldn't, you know, see any other way except that, you know, depression and anxiety and these, you know, mental health symptoms were, were just like all other symptoms in the body. They were just signs that something wasn't quite working like it should do. Um, so that's always kind of been a, a bit of an interest of mine. But in terms of the sort of other aspect of brain health, a number of years ago, uh, my grandmother was diagnosed with dementia. Um, she since passed at the end of uh, 2018. And when she was diagnosed, she was late 80s. So, you know, it wasn't early onset um, or it wasn't you know, necessarily a big shock like a lot of people when they're diagnosed in their 40s, 50s and 60s. But I hadn't learned a lot about dementia um, in my studies. And I think like most people, I thought it was largely genetic. And so that just made me terrified <laughs> for my own future. And, you know, my father and my brother and the rest of my family. So um, I did what I do best and basically researched the heck out of it. Um, and even I was just shocked at how much control we have, you know, with our diet and our lifestyle and how much of these 
conditions, dementia and Alzheimer's are, are so much down to our nutrition and our lifestyle and, you know, our, our modern society. So um, finding all of that, I just, you know, I was all in. I decided this was, how can, how can I sit by and just not make this, you know, the absolute focus of, of what I do? So um, if, if I'm in the dark about it, then I can only imagine, you know, everybody else's too. So I made it my, um, I, I dedicated my practice to it. Um, have come across, you know, Dr. Bredesen and his amazing work, uh, so many other e experts in the field. And, you know, um, I think it's just so important that more of us need to be speaking about it because dementia is just rising everywhere. Um, and yeah, we just have so much control. And I think that's so important to know. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm so glad that you mentioned your, your personal history there with your grandma. And I'm so sorry about your loss, by the way. Uh, my grandma actually passed, same thing, earlier, um, right okay. at the beginning. It was right before all the lockdowns happened. So it was February, oh, wow. March, right around there. Yeah, but she had been suffering for years and years. And my grandpa, on her husband, same thing. So I know that I have that genetic predisposition to cognitive decline. Mm. Like you said, it's really empowering to know that we're not stuck. And so beyond that, I would love for you to share, like, what, what are some other, um, how, how can people know if, if they're at risk for cognitive decline beyond the genetics, beyond any of that? And what, what are the things that increase our risk? So the changes that sort of happen in, in the brain that lead up to dementia and Alzheimer's, they can start 20 years before a diagnosis is found. So I think it's kind of, um, I, I feel like without sounding a little bit negative, everyone with the brain is at risk in a way, you yeah. know, like we all, we all have a bit like mental health, you know, we all have mental health, we all have brain health and everything that we're doing on a daily basis is influencing that in one way or the other. Um, so I think um, it's, it's really important to not take it for granted when we're symptom free. So for a lot of us, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, um, had I not had that experience and perhaps, you know, you as well, I probably would never have considered that I could have been at risk. And, you know, I just think that whole, if you've got a brain, you know, you're, you're at risk in a way, but in terms of the specific um, sort of indicators, a lot of people will talk about genetics and they probably would expect genetics to be, you know, at the top of the list in terms of what puts you at risk. But just the, the science is showing more and more and more how much we have control. And one of um, the uh, Lancet did a um, review this year, just came out earlier this year. Um, and it was an update on their 2017 uh, dementia report and review. And back in 2017, they'd outlined um, six modifiable risk factors. So six factors that were completely within our control um, that influence our risk of dementia. And being that this is the Lancet, they're pretty conservative as well in, in what they list there. And there has to be an awful lot of sort of robust evidence. Um, so some of those things were um, lower education, uh, hypertension, so high blood pressure, hearing impairment, interestingly. So um, yeah, a lack of hearing ability. Um, and then we get into the really sort of much more obvious diet and lifestyle ones. Um, smoking, obesity, depression is in there as a modifiable risk factor. 
physical inactivity, diabetes, and low social contact. So those were the initial um, ones from back in 2017. Since then, this year, they actually added three more risk factors onto that. Um, and that was alcohol or excessive alcohol consumption, uh, traumatic brain injury, and air pollution. So there's a really wide span of things there wow. that, that influence, you know, and are considered, you know, significant risk factors, but all modifiable, right? We have control over each of those. And this latest report suggested that with all of those in mind, that around 40% or more of cases currently could be attributed to those conditions, those, those modifiable risk factors. And a previous study was a little bit more um, generous, I guess, in saying that around 50% of, um, of cases could be due to modifiable risk factors. So there's this huge portion. And I just think with the more research that comes out, especially with gut health, you know, and the connection between our guts and our brains and the, you know, the microbiome, which is just the research is burgeoning. Um, I just think that numbers, that percentage is going to increase and increase. And I just think we're going to find so much more of these things that are, are under our control. And what they do fail to mention in that report, obviously they fail to kind of outline it as diet specifically. Yeah. But if you look at all those other risk factors, you know, many are diet and lifestyle driven anyway. So high blood pressure, obesity, depression, diabetes, they're, they're all influenced by diet. So without specifically saying it, it's, it's not hard to extrapolate that diet is probably one of the biggest modifiable factors that we have you know, at our disposal. Um, so those sorts of things are, are the main, um, I guess, sort of, you know, medical and modifiable risk factors, but there's also a lot of evidence around um, just increased inflammatory markers, a lot of correlations between higher inflammation um, and increased risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. So for people perhaps that have arthritis or autoimmune conditions or other sorts of inflammatory conditions that could increase your risk. Um, sleep disturbances, insomnia, you know, without any of those other medical conditions, just that can drastically increase your risk. Um, a really high correlation between deficiencies of certain nutrients, which um, we'll talk about, I'm sure as well, um, you know, and the Correlation with depression, I think, is really interesting because obviously there's there's so many common factors there um, that that are just you know those particular nutrients that are really crucial for for mental wellness as well as for for brain health. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I don't know if I've ever heard the depression connection before or not. Mm. You know, I don't think I've ever sat and gone, oh, that makes. I mean, a lot of people are saying that depression is an inflammatory condition, and so that could make sense. And then, like you said, the whole yeah. gut brain thing, and even people with things like type two diabetes, they're more likely to have depression. So, I mean, it's just interesting how it all kind of ties together. Um, Absolutely. That is a huge yeah. list. That's a, that's it a really, a that's list. everybody. Like you said, I, I think that goes back to your point of, if you have a brain, you're at risk because Absolutely. isn't everybody struggling with one of those, at least one of those things, I say everybody loosely, but, um, yeah, yeah that that's very interesting. Um, yeah. On wow. that depression link, um, the, the most recent statistic that I read was, um, 
that those with uh, experiencing depressive symptoms in midlife, which is basically pre 60 year old, um, they they consider midlife, which is nice, um, have two times the risk of dementia. So it's a really strong correlation, like that's doubling your risk. Um, And I think you're right. I think that inflammation, you know, that also is going to promote those other risk factors. So obesity, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, they can all be not in all cases, but often, you know, driven by inflammation from various sources. So I think it's just, it's much more of a systemic thing than, than previously thought, I think is what we can sort of gather from most of that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think considering too, that so many people, they don't even begin to think about Alzheimer's dementia until they're at that age where it pops up. I think that it's so important that we talk about this before, like you said, was it 20, 30 years before? Yeah. Um, yeah. It kind that's... of keeps getting stretched out first. It was kind of 10 yeah. years and they say 10 to 20 years. Now they're like 20 plus years before, you know, those processes are just going on. Um, and yeah. you know, the other thing to consider, which I also think is really important is that a bit like it's, it's not just your genetics. It's not just one thing. So it's not, just a lack of physical activity or it's not just you know a nutrient deficiency um dr bredesen uh, i mentioned before he's one of my my heroes in the brain health field um but he notes that you know when people get to diagnosis they've got around 10 to 25 different contributors to their cognitive decline so it's not just fixing one thing it's not none of this like silver bullet thing it's, it's very much, um, you know, looking at all the different contributors and that it's kind of a, um, a critical mass, right? Like once all of these little things build up, um, that's when we can get those sort of issues that overflow into actual symptoms and diagnosis. Um, and that's why, you know, looking really holistically is so important because you can't just target one of those contributors and think it's all fine. You know, we have to take a really, really holistic approach to it. Yes. And I, I love that. I am all about that. So with that, what do you think are some of the, the top nutrients for brain health? Like what are some things that we could make sure that we're adding in now to keep from sliding into cognitive decline in the future? So the ones that I really like to focus on with, with nutrients, like there's obviously an awful lot of vital nutrients. Every cell needs, you know, a huge array of nutrients to be healthy and to function well. For me, I think the most important ones are the ones that we're all so commonly deficient in. And you'll find that some of the most um, commonly deficient nutrients are also a lot of the ones that are the most beneficial for brain health. So it's, we're kind of, you know, modern society is kind of, you know, in our diets, our lacking sort of poor nutrient diet, it's sort of setting us up for these. And I think some of these, the the key ones that just always come to mind for me um, would be something like magnesium. Um, So magnesium is very commonly depleted in soils now. So even the foods that we eat are much, much lower in magnesium than they ever were before. So it's not even so much that our bodies need more magnesium, but just that we're not actually able to consume as much um, through our foods. And magnesium is just, you know, so important for our nervous system, our energy production, um, you know, processed foods really, uh, and stress really strip our bodies of magnesium. It uses up a lot of magnesium. Um, we need it for sleep. 
so all of those things we've talked about that you know contributing to to dementia and Alzheimer's magnesium's like right right up there and really commonly deficient um, another one would be omega-3s I mean so commonly deficient uh, again um, I, I always like to use use myself as a prime example here um, even even I who know about all the stuff and I think follows a reasonably brain healthy diet. You know, I'm not perfect, but <laughs> I kind of know what I, what I should be doing. Um, I was very deficient in omega-3 in a blood test um, not that long ago. And so I think, again, just because you're sort of symptom free and chugging along thinking you're doing all right, it doesn't necessarily mean that our body, you know, our biomarkers are reflecting that. And perhaps, you know, there's something else going on there. So um, with omega-3s, it's, it's not just the overall amount, but also the ratio with omega-6s. So it's all about balance as well. And again, processed foods, all these you know, industrial oils and refined oils are so full of omega-6. Um, ideally, we want a little a balance of about one-to-one, omega-3 to omega-6. Omega uh, most sort of modern diets are more about 15 to 16 times as many omega-6s as omega-3s. Um, so our diets just really promote that um, either overall deficiency or relative deficiency of omega-3. Um, another one would be vitamin D. Uh, you know, vitamin D is so commonly deficient. Um, I was reading, trying to read up on some US statistics uh, for some of your audience because I have a lot of UK <laughs> UK statistics, but um, I read one that was, you know, two thirds of healthy young adults in Boston apparently were vitamin D deficient at wow. the end of a winter period. So these are like healthy people with no symptoms, not even looking at people that already have mental health symptoms or, you know, brain fog or these, these um, cognitive conditions. And I think the final one um, for me, that's super important. Obviously it's hard to limit it, but I would say B vitamins um, in general as like a group are um, crucially important for nervous system function, uh, for energy production. Uh, there's some evidence as well to do with the um, progression of dementia that some of it could be down to, you know, a loss of ability to create energy within the brain cells. So they actually lose their ability to create energy effectively. And, you know, that could be down to a lack of nutrients or inflammation or whatever it might be. Um, you know, deficiencies of vitamin B1 and B6 can actually lead to Alzheimer's-like symptoms just on their own, just purely a deficiency. So a lot of people are already experiencing these symptoms. It may not necessarily be, you know, a Alzheimer's disease progression, but simply a lack of B vitamins. And it's like so easily rectified. And, I, you know, I think to your question about how can we make sure we get enough of them, I think I, I find it difficult because I would love to say, for me, it's always food first, always. So I'm, I'm very pas passionate about that, that we should try and get um, as much as we can from food uh, before we start looking at supplements and things like that to sort of top up. But in a lot of these you know, uh, nutrients, we simply struggle to get what we previously would have and what we need from food alone. Um, so I think there is a place for supplements. Um, I think testing 
is very important to ensure that the supplements you are taking are the right ones for you are necessary and are actually doing the job. Um, but yeah, I do, as much as I love the idea that food should be able to sustain us with everything that we need, um, you know, in modern times, that's, that's becoming more and more difficult. Um, and yeah, I think there's definitely a place for supplements. But in terms of food, you know, a lot of those nutrients are found in really good oily fish. Um, you know, whole foods of any description. So, you know, whole root vegetables have got fantastic fiber, um, B vitamins, magnesium, um, you know, vitamin D from mushrooms and fish again, they're all, they're all very accessible in good quality whole foods. And I think that's sort of a, um, we need to return to those whole foods a lot more in order to ensure that we can get as much of those nutrients from, from food as possible. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think that, you know, and it's interesting, you even mentioned how a lack of B vitamins can show up and and some of those dementia like symptoms, like, like brain mm. fog, right? Like how many people, especially moms with young kids just feel like they have this perpetual state of brain fog, but it's probably that they just need some B vitamins because their B vitamins Absolutely. are depleted. So yeah. And, and we can get that. What, what are some other meals you mentioned, um, oily fish and, and root vegetables. What are some of your go-to meals? Like if you're like, okay, I really want to power up my brain. This is going to be my go-to. What would you say? I am, um, <laughs> I'm a terrible chef. I'm not a terrible chef. <laughs> I am no Follow me on Instagram. I'm often showing my um, what I'm cooking and what I'm eating, and it's it's definitely not gourmet in any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I think my go-to meals are super simple, um, and I like to remind people that you know brain healthy meals don't have to be this really complex, fancy, out of a recipe book kind of perfectly coordinated thing. You know, just bringing together all these different sorts of foods, you know, in a really simple way can be a really beneficial brain healthy meal. And I think we kind of overcomplicate it sometimes and sort of, you know, think that we have to have all this, you know, crazy ingredients or really special things or just the right recipe. And really, it's just about, you know, looking at the, the sorts of foods and kind of incorporating them in a way. So for me, I'm like... Uh, I'm a big bowl food person. Mm -hmm. So if I have to sit down with a knife and a fork, I find that, you know, a, a bit hard work. <laughs> I love things that are just a big pile in a bowl. So um, I'll often, um, you know, just do a tray bake, you know, really, really simple tray bakes, but with a really wide variety of vegetables. So that's one of the big um, recommendations, not just for brain health, but for gut health is a really um, good, diverse, wide variety of foods. So a brain healthy meal to me is one that has got as much color packed in there as possible. So I try and challenge myself to add, you know, a bit of all sorts of color um, if possible and sort of, you know, uh, make sure there's something in the fridge of each color so that I can make a meal like that, even if it's really small. Um, but yeah, tray bakes are amazing, sauteed, um, uh, green vegetables. So um, I'm a big fan of butter. I don't at all <laughs> have a problem with butter in terms of brain health. Uh, so, you know, just sauteing some green vegetables, uh, leafy greens with a, you know, nice hefty dose of butter. The butter helps the, um, 
uh, vitamin A and E and those vitamin D, the fat soluble vitamins that helps to you know, absorb those even better. Um, and I found this amazing recipe. I've got a couple of links on my Instagram recently. Um, I love curries is one of my other go-to meals. Um, the spices in curries are absolutely wonderful for brain health, mm. blood sugar, um, gut health. Um, one of the most uh, recent recipes I had was a coconut and lime uh, sort of uh, dish, which was actually made to go with chicken, but I use it with salmon and then pile a whole extra lot yeah. of vegetables, green vegetables and things like that. Uh, and that's brilliant because you've got the, you know, um, beneficial fats, not just from the salmon, but from the coconut oil and then tons of green leafy vegetables, uh, lots of nice spices in there as well. So I think variety is to me what sort of um, encompasses a brain healthy meal, variety, color, and making sure you don't skimp on the fats, because that's something that we're very uh, prone to do, uh, is, is skimp a little bit on those, those fats and um, be a little bit afraid of them. So I think loading mm -hmm. up on the fats more so than you think is necessary is probably getting to be about right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think we were really misled for many years that low fat mm. is the way to go. And now Absolutely. they're showing in research, they're saying, well, that, you know, too low fat is going to put you at risk for stroke and, and all, you know, all of these brain related things. And so it's like, yeah, we need that fat. So that, Ooh, that coconut lime salmon thing sounds really good. <laughs> it was delicious. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your habit-based approach, because I know you're really passionate about that, but before, you know, we get into the how I'd love to know why you believe it is so important to take this habit-based approach and, and why that's so important for somebody who's wanting to make these changes. So, I mean, I think it's so important because most of the people that I, I come across, and I think this is um, standard for a lot of people that are seeking help from um, not just nutritionists, but health coaches and everything, they, a lot of us aren't, you know, we're not silly. We know that we probably need to, you know, exercise a bit more or, you know, eat more vegetables, or there's a lot of these things that we know that we just need to do. We just have really, um, you know, we have a lot of trouble actually doing them and sticking to them. And there's the whole psychological aspect of it. I think the, the old method is that, you know, people think that they have to do everything or they might as well not bother. So they feel like unless they're being like 100% perfect with their diet, their lifestyle, they're working out five times a week, they're eating clean, <laughs> they're, you know, doing all of the things that unless they're doing that, then it's just not worth trying. And I think that mindset, that all or nothing, and that sort of perfectionism is why, why we fail so much, for starters, why we find it hard. And I think it's also why this habit-based approach is so important. So there's, you know, um, I'm not a psychologist, but sort of going into the, the psychology of, of habit change is, is super fascinating um, for me. And there's this idea uh, of cognitive dissonance, which... I think really kind of sums up this all or nothing approach and why we kind of self-sabotage so much. And cognitive dissonance is basically when someone kind of holds two conflicting or two contradictory beliefs in, in their head. And stress basically occurs because 
every action you take, if they're contradictory, every action you take is going to go against one or the other. You can't satisfy both of those, those beliefs. So when I sort of think of that in terms of, you know, our health and trying to improve our health, I think people kind of expect this perfection of themselves. They think that they should be able to be perfect with their diet. They think that's something they should be able to do. But deep down, they kind of know that they're also not going to be 100% perfect forever, right? Because it's just insane to think that. So when people kind of think, I'm, you know, I'm never touching sugar again, or I'm cutting out all sugar from my diet, some part of them is sort of saying, oh, except for my birthday cake or except mm -hmm. for when I go out for dinner and have dessert or, you know, so we're already, before we even start trying, we've already set up these conflicting beliefs. And then the more you expect perfection, the more stressful it becomes because it's kind of like, you know, you're going to give in at some point, you know, that time is coming when you're not going to be hundred percent perfect because you know, that's unrealistic. And it becomes just a matter of when, when are you going to cave? When are you going to binge? Especially when you've had that pattern in the past, it's proven itself, right? You know that you fall off the wagon. So there's this real, you know, these two ideas cause a lot of conflict. And in order to solve that conflict, we just want to prove one of them right. So we tend to give in and just go, well, there, it's done. Like conflict over. I've, I've given in. I'm not perfect. Um, and we feel better for a minute because that conflict is gone. But then we get into this whole guilt and, you know, um, this, this cycle of berating ourselves and feeling terrible about ourselves because we obviously just haven't tried hard enough. And, you know, all that does is just put you in a, on a back foot when you go to try again. So we just, I just find so many people are in this situation, this no win situation, and they're just constantly on the back foot and constantly battling with themselves and I think that's why like a habit-based approach where you're looking at really small changes consistently um, is just so important because it takes off that whole pressure of, of perfectionism. And I think, you know, perfectionism is the thief of progress is the saying from somebody, I think. And I think that's, that, that's so right. Like if we're focusing on perfection, we're never going to get there. Um, so I think for me, that's why this habit-based approach is, is so important. Yeah, that's so good. And it, it really does make me wonder how many people struggle with this because typically when we're doing, we're making changes with our eating or, um, you know, going on a diet, right. It's mm. because it's for some kind of body perfection or to lose weight, or we don't typically do that for brain health reasons, you know? And so, I wonder if that's the cognitive dissonance aspect that's really hard for people to wrap their head around that I'm doing this for results that I might not actually see on the outside. You know, I'm doing 100%. this for internal results. Like that's, that's really hard. It's hard to stick with it when yeah. that's what it's for. Right. Especially if you're talking 20 years for something, 20 years. Absolutely. Before. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I, I think that is the huge part of it is that we're, we're so primed by diet culture and by media and by technology for this this instant gratification this immediate win and this you know i have to see the results now otherwise what's the point uh, and i think that's that is why you know changing that perspective and kind of releasing that need for perfectionism and sort of enjoying learning to enjoy the journey rather than the destination and knowing that health you know is not a destination it's it's not something you get it's 
something you do on a daily basis. Like it's a practice that you do day in and day out. And I think it's just shifting that perspective. Um, and I think that's what I find the habit-based approach does for people. That's kind of that mindset shift that I see happen when people, you know, um, allow themselves to actually follow this, you know, more habit-based process. I think that's the shift that I see, you know, happening. And I think that is so valuable because it just kind of brings us back to, to what health truly is in my, in my eyes. It's not, it's not a body shape or a figure or a something. It's, it's that daily practice of doing something that nourishes your body. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I love that you said it's not a destination and and Mm. that's what, that's what really messes up a lot of people. So what, so how can people implement these small changes over time and, and turn them into habits and what's the best approach at getting started with something like that? So I think it's really important to, I mean, for me, the first step in everything is awareness and, and, um, sort of bringing things into the forefront and especially when it comes to our you know our eating and our lifestyle behaviors and our habits I think it's really important to remember that our habits are just learned solutions right we've just learned how to do something which gives us that solution that we're talking about that immediate gratification and we've just learned that from somewhere somewhere along the way but you know, and the, the brain and the body is built for survival. So the, the brain is always looking for shortcuts. We're always looking for ways to turn things into habits that work for us. So if it worked for us once, we're probably going to do it again and again and again and again. So that sort of turns things into autopilot so that our brain is just working, you know, by itself without us having to actually consciously think about the decisions. So when we're looking to change our habits or to Im- implement new ones, first you have to come off autopilot because until you kind of bring that back into our conscious decision making and kind of you know bring it under our control then we're never going to change it because it's always just going to be this script playing you know in the background that we kind of it's already happened it goes our brain works so fast that whole thing has already happened before we probably even realize it so understanding our habits and kind of looking at them like that as as just solutions to behaviors and not thinking that they're good or bad as such but just kind of looking at them as at some point I've learned that doing this solves a problem right now it doesn't actually solve the problem in the best way (laughs) it isn't really giving me the long-term solution so I just need to relearn a different solution to that same problem so that awareness, I think, is, is a huge part of it. And I think that's the first step. Um, and the, the second step, I think, is kind of a, a twofold. So it's kind of the second and third step is what gets turned into autopilot habits the quickest are things that we do consistently, right? Things that we repeat consistently. So especially for something that doesn't give us that immediate gratification. So for something that's more of that long-term payoff, then we have to kind of use different, um, you know, tap into the the different parts of the brain um, to make that work for us. And the consistency and repetition is, is a big part of it. So this comes back to doing this kind of big drastic changes, right? They're hard to do and they're hard to stick to. And we find that we, we, are not doing them as often as we're doing them. So we don't have any consistency in them and therefore they're never going to become a habit because we literally don't have that repetition of 
the brain pathways firing in order to cement that into our brain as a new habit. So the biggest thing about creating habits is starting really, really small. So starting so small that it's something that you can absolutely, without a doubt, do consistently every single day. And often I'm talking like even smaller than, than you might be thinking. So a lot of people go, oh, I'll just start with like 30 minutes of exercise a day. I'm talking like one minute of exercise a day <laughs> or five minutes of exercise, like whatever you can manage, whatever is 100% doable, making it small enough to be consistent with it even on your very worst days is the absolute key because that's what's going to, you know, turn it into, into a lifelong, you know, hardwired habit. And the other aspect is, is when we sort of try and do these big changes, it also takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of thought because we've got to literally change every aspect. We might not know how to shop, you know, grocery shop or meal plan or cook or, you know, whereas if we start really small, we're kind of avoiding all of those hurdles and we're making it really, really super simple. So we're kind of, you know, avoiding all those, those pitfalls that might come up along the way. And the smaller it is, the less energy it's going to take to do it. So you're more likely to actually do it. And then you're more likely to do it consistently. So the, as well as being aware, it's also just starting really, really small, kind of wedging that habit into your day in the tiniest form and then once it's wedged in there then starting to build on it because it's once it's built into your routine even if it's one minute of physical activity a day that one minute is wedged into your routine now and then building on it is so much easier so you might get to this big drastic change at the end of it but it's just the process that you take to get there um, is different and will work with the way that your brain is wired and the way that your brain works rather than against it and you just constantly coming up against a big wall of overwhelm and resistance and burnout and you know guilt and just feeling sorry for yourself so it's taking all that away and making it giving you small wins so that you build your confidence as well I think that's a really important part of it too yeah I, I love that and I you know as you're talking I'm thinking about so many of the survival shortcuts that, that we take, you know, that we think is just, that's what you do. It's normal. Like, for example, I had a hard day. I don't feel like cooking. I'm going to order pizza. When really, when you think about how long it takes for the pizza to actually get there, you could easily throw together some vegetables, put them on a pan, <laughs> roast yeah. them with, with some meat or whatever. And that can be done in less time than it takes for the pizza to actually be delivered. It's like, it, it takes up brain space to change the way that we do things. And, yeah. and it's, that makes so much sense changing just small things. And sometimes it's that mindset towards these healthy habits that need to be changed. Like, Oh, it's just too complicated to cut up a vegetable. Like really, yeah. where, where'd you learn that? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. like yeah. where did that yeah. come from? Um, but yeah, it's just these little, that's, I really like how you said about the brain and survival and anyway, like it just all, it all ties together so well. I love that. Mm. So thank you for that. Um, no is there, what, what's another, we're kind of running low on time, but I, I've got to ask you this question. What's another brain hack that you that's a favorite brain hack for you, like something that, and it doesn't have to be food related or anything, just like something that, you know, just kind of gets your brain going and is helpful for you. So 
again, I kind of avoid the word hack personally, because that to me makes it feel like it's a little bit of a shortcut to kind of like, like, what are we hacking? Are we doing this to try Mm -hmm. and get away from the the fact that we actually have to take the long route sometimes? So Uh the word hack personally, but um, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is, is making something fun or finding joy. Like, I just think that is, so important and when it comes to health everybody thinks that you know everything's such a chore and it's something we have to do not something that we want to do and I think that you know just sort of switching that mindset and finding find either finding joy in the things that you do so like you know like you say like cutting up the vegetables find a way to make it fun find a way to you know bring joy to that even if it's not directly related not like oh my gosh I'm having so much fun cutting up these vegetables (laughs) but turn your favorite song on you know because that that feeling of joy and of um it's like a reward right when you're doing something that brings you joy and makes you feel good and a lot of the things that we, we need to do for our health um, aren't immediately enjoyable. Like we say, they're not that immediate gratification. So doing these things alongside something else that brings us that joy and that fun and that reward aspect can actually help cement those pathways and those habits even more so. So when I'm cooking, as I say, I'm not a big chef. I don't mind cooking, but I don't love it, you know. Um, I always have music on, you know, the kitchen is where we have music. And to me, that just makes, you know, if I'm boogieing away at the kitchen while I'm, you know, making dinner, the time's gone before I even know. And, you know, it's been fun because it's, you know, it's, it's part of the process. And I think even if it's not related to habits, just habits that you're trying to make, just making space for joy in every day just changes the way that our brain functions. So it just reconnects um, different parts of our brain um, helps us make better decisions. Uh, you know, it takes away this stress reaction that we have, and like it actually increases blood fr- blood flow between our brain areas and makes these connections between logical decisions and emotion, and just builds all these connections. And I think that we too often rush through life and just you know do all these things that we think we have to do and we forget to take time to do the things that we love doing and that that bring us joy um so I think that's um that's a really important part as well and being aware of that no that that's good I love that Uh, and I love like you said not to use the word hack because it does it's it's kind of (laughs) cheating a little bit it feels like a cheat yeah and that's Uh why like you know cheat days oh I hate that if you're on a diet that needs a cheat day, like right. what? that just doesn't, it just doesn't totally. sit well with me. And that's, that's what that kind of hack kind of mm-hmm. comes to me is like, we're hacking the system, like, shh, we'll, <laughs> we'll shortcut here. Yes. And it's like, actually, no, we've just got to, uh, you know, we, we're yeah. owners of our bodies. We've just got to realize that we've got to, we've got to do certain things. If we want to be healthy, there's no shortcuts. Yeah. There's no, you know, magic pill that's going to do it for us. We have to take that responsibility and, and just do the thing. Do the thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I love this question. I love it. Um, I think it's a little bit about what I've kind of touched on. I think, I think tune in, you know, tune in and, and connect, connect to, to yourself and your all aspects, your physical self, your mental, emotional self, but also connect with other people. 
and and really sort of bring that awareness and, and that sort of tuning in because I think modern society is just causing us to become more and more disconnected from mm -hmm. people, from our body, from everything. And we've lost that ability to, to listen to what our body is telling us and to take action based on that. Like we've just lost all touch with that. And, you know, technology, it not only distracts us, but, you know, we've come to rely on technology to tell us what to eat when to move you know whether we're healthy or not since when do we need a thing on our wrist to tell us how we feel and what we should do you know i think there's a place for those but i think we rely on them far too heavily and in place of actually connecting and i think sometimes we don't connect because you know there's a bit of fear around that and vulnerability and like what are we actually going to have to again the responsibility what are we going to have to deal with <laughs> and and face up to once we do connect to that and listen to what our body's telling us we're going to have to take action based on that um and i think the more that we kind of tune into that and our needs um you know the more the more whole we become because it's you know habits aren't just you know learned solutions to what to eat or you know often we're eating to cure emotional needs mm -hmm. or you know social needs or things like that so so being aware and tuning into what we actually need um you know will help you to kind of reframe those behaviors and kind of yeah make yourself whole by by figuring out what you actually need and not sort of plugging the gaps with something that that you think might work but actually really get getting to the bottom of it and really listening to what your body's telling you i think that's that's a big part i totally agree love that answer <laughs> that's so good so how can people find you follow you contact you all of that good stuff i already said your instagram is so much fun and i, I learn so much the graphics are so pretty and but Thank also you. informative so you do a great job and i'm very particular about you know the health things on Instagram. So yeah, <laughs> thank you. I passed the test. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my Instagram is just um, at Kathy Williams health. Um, that is my handle at Kathy with a C Kathy Williams health. Um, similarly, my uh, website is just kathywilliams.co.uk. Um, email is very typical Kathy at kathywilliams.co.uk. Very simple, making it simple for you all. Um, uh, yeah, those will be the best ways to reach me. Um, I have some great stuff coming up very soon. Uh, so keep an eye on the Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, and Facebook, of course, as well. Uh, I have a group which is called uh, Health by Habit, um, which is what I'm aiming to achieve, aiming to achieve health by habit. Um, so you can find me there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a good discussion. Time flew by. So <laughs> thank you for offering all of your information, your wisdom, your knowledge, all of it. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I love it. And I love what you do as well. I love everything you stand for. And the idea of wholeness is just so important to me. So I, I really love that part of it too. Well, thank you. It was an honor having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, 
you can leave a nice review. I like those.